Good morning, church. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. Uh, Next week we'll have uh, preaching for us one of the pastors that we prayed for this morning that is planting a church in Pennsylvania. Uh, So we're looking forward to having Jeremy Hedrick come in. And then the week after that, we will be returning to our study in the book of Matthew, uh, which we left off some time ago. We'll be picking back up where we left off in Matthew chapter 14. So uh, I am really excited to jump back into Matthew. But today I wanted to preach on a topic that is near and dear to my heart as it relates to our church, and that is the topic of encouragement. Uh, Encouragement. Scripture has a lot to say about the use of our words, about the significance of our words and the profound effect that they can have. For instance, Proverbs 18.21 tells us, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So, in the tongue, in your words, the way you use your mouth, you have power, power given by God to give life or to give death, to build people up or to tear people down. What we say matters. And what we say matters all the time. All our words matter. The Lord Jesus teaches us in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. So... That's just a sobering passage to meditate on. I mean, think about that. Every care, not just every careful word that you speak, but every throwaway word, every careless word, every word you let slip. So every word matters. And yet I suspect for most of us, the significance of our words, the significance of every single word that we speak is often lost on us uh, because we are awash in words. Uh, We are drowning in words. There are words all around us all day, every day. We hear, we speak, we type, we read so many words. And the effect of this is we can easily become numb to the significance of our words and the profound effect they can have. Over the years, I've come across different studies, and you've probably seen them too. Uh, I don't know who commissions these studies or, or you know why, but uh, how many words we speak every day. Have you seen these kinds of studies, right? So on average, uh, they say we speak about 20, every person speaks about 25,000 words a day. How many of those are careless words, right? 25,000 words per day. Now that's that's on average, and I'm sure that there are many here, uh, many spouses here, uh, well, many spouses who are thinking many things about that 25,000 words. Uh, some of you are, are, I'm sure some spouses are thinking like, you know, 25,000 words. You're like, my spouse only gets started at 25,000 words. That's just, my spouse gets warmed up at 25,000 words. And, you know, come to think of it, there's an unusual percentage of those words that comes out late at night, right when I'm trying to go to sleep. So some of you are thinking, okay, wow, nah, that, that, doesn't even, that doesn't even get my spouse. And, and others of you are thinking the same thing, but in the opposite. You're like, 25,000 words? Are you kidding? Like, my spouse is in... They don't speak 25,000 words in a month. Like, what are you talking about? A day. There's just no way. So, okay, so we're talking about on average. Let's go with the 25,000 words, which means already today, 
you're probably second service. You're probably a couple thousand words in already. Um, you've got twenty five thousand a day. You've got another twenty five thousand tomorrow. So here's something we want to do with the sermon today, and as you're applying it this week, we want to evaluate. We want to consider how many of our twenty five thousand words are life giving words. What's the percentage of our words that are words of encouragement? We all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. I love what Ray Ortland has said about it. He says, I've never met anyone suffering from too much encouragement in Christ. That's true, right? Like you've never met someone who, you've never gone to a community group and you've tried to encourage someone and they're like, no, 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 stop, just stop, stop, stop. I've, I've hit my encouragement quota today. I just don't need any more upbuilding words from you. Like, please stop, just direct it to the next person. I'm full of encouragement. I've just, I'm suffering under too much encouragement in my life right now. Like, no one ever feels that way. No one suffers from too much encouragement. And I like also what New Testament scholar Murray Harris has said. He's noted that encouragement, in his study of the New Testament, he would say encouragement is one of the most important ministries in the New Testament church. I think it can go under the radar because it's not always used the word encourage. But think about, just think about the Apostle Paul, all his visitations to all the churches, all his letters to, the, to the, all these churches, how often he was thanking God for them and pointing out grace in their life and, and encouraging them, building them up. God himself, we're told, is a God, or not a God, the God of encouragement. Romans 15, verse 5. God himself is the God of encouragement, which means God loves to encourage us. God loves to encourage us, and it's one of the primary ways he strengthens and sustains us in what he has called us to do. God encourages us, and he largely does so through the ministry of one another. Which is why we read verse after verse in the New Testament about this. Uh, for instance, 1 Thessalonians verse. Or chapter 5, verse 11, last verse from the passage Merrick preached last week. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. All right, Thessalonians, you're doing this. You're encouraging each other and it's building each other up. Keep doing it. Don't stop. This is how you build the church of God, through the ministry of encouragement. Or here's another one, another passage, one of my favorites when it comes to ministry to one another. Hebrews 3, verse 13. But exhort... It's the same word for encourage in original Greek, same word. So, but exhort or but encourage one another every day. So how often? Every day. Every day. Every day you need encouraged as long as it's called today, which means until Jesus comes again, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So according to the author of Hebrews here, inspired as he was by the Holy Spirit, encouragement is something that we need every single day. You think, oh, I don't need that much encouragement. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a strong guy. I don't need much encouragement. Well, the Holy Spirit would beg to differ. You need encouragement every single day. You think you don't need encouragement? 
That means you're already deceived by your sin. You're already led astray by your sin. You need encouragement every single day to not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encouragement is a daily necessity in the Christian life. Therefore, we can say it is certainly one of the most important ministries in the church of the New New Testament. And encouragement should be a distinctive, it should be a distinctive of Jesus' church. Now, I thank God, I thank God that by His grace, uh, encouragement has been a distinctive of our denomination really since its beginning. Uh, this is largely due, I mean, it's to the grace of God, but this is largely due to the leadership of C.J. Mahaney, one of the founders and leaders of Sovereign Grace. Um, he, has, he has said before that if he could only teach two messages, if he could only ever preach two messages, the first would be on Jesus Christ and the second one would be on encouragement. It just feels like that's what the Lord has given him. Uh, he says it's really, it's, it's really a sad thing. All the thousands of messages he preached over the years, he feels like he could really boil down his heart to just two of them. But it would be Jesus and encouragement. And I thank God that he has woven, through CJ's leadership, he has woven that into the DNA of Sovereign Grace Churches. And really, he has woven it into the DNA of this church. Uh, you are an encouraging church. And I thank God that you are an encouraging church and that you like to send your pastor notes about how great his sermons are. (laughs) My inbox is always open to any of those kinds of emails. Uh, And you do send those and you encourage me and you encourage your pastors and you encourage one another Uh, on behalf of your pastors. I thank God for you and for the way that you encourage one another and build each other up. It is a strength here. So this is not a corrective message. This is not a confrontational message. Uh, This is, listen up, this this is what this is. This is, we have historically enjoyed encouragement as a part of our culture. And what we want to do is preserve that. We want to keep that here and we want to pass it on to the next generation. And we want future leaders, people who have joined the last few years to understand this is what we care about. We care about encouraging one another, motivating by grace here. And so we want to preserve it and by God's grace, my prayer today, my hope today is that he will stir it up afresh in our midst. Now, this is what Paul said to Timothy, right? He said, stir up the gift given to you. Stir up the gift given to you through the laying on of hands. 2 Timothy 1.6. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to stir up the gift of, God, of encouragement. Come to grace. Stir up the gift of encouragement that has been given to you through the laying on of hands. We want to stir it up today. So, what is encouragement? Well, it, the New Testament verb encourage or encouragement uh, can mean a various things. Uh, to comfort to exhort, to console, to call someone to something. So, you know, comfort, console, calling someone. It has a wide uh, meaning. It has a, a broad meaning. So, broadly speaking, uh, you might define encouraging. I like to say encouraging words are, broadly speaking, just life-giving words. Life-giving words. As Ephesians 4.29, words that give life fitting to the occasion. So you're interacting with someone, you find out uh, you know, they're sad or they're struggling or whatever. You find out what it is as fits the occasion, and then you comfort or you console or you call them to something. That is encouragement. And here is something extremely interesting, I think. So that verb translated encourage in your New Testament, Jesus uses the same word in its noun form, in John 14, 26, when he calls the Holy Spirit our helper. 
So, the Spirit is our encourager. All the ministry of the Spirit, not the encompassing ministry, but a significant aspect of the Spirit's ministry is one of encouragement, which makes sense then that Spirit-filled ministry to one another and a Spirit-filled church will be a church characterized by encouragement, by encouraging words used to build one another up, life-giving words. So that's what we're talking about today, and we want to look at one of the most helpful passages I know of when it comes to thinking about the practice of encouragement. And that's in Acts chapter 11. Uh, in it, we're going to read here about Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas was this great character in the New Testament, uh, early church member. We actually first met Barnabas, or meet him, in Acts chapter 4. And uh, we find out his real name, uh, his real name is Joseph. But the apostles gave him the name Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement, as a nickname. Because his encouragement was so impactful to the apostles and to the early church. So what we want to do this morning is study the example of the man named Son of Encouragement. And look at his practice of encouragement. We're looking at Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. So I invite you to follow along now as I read God's holy and authoritative word to us. Acts 11, beginning in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose up over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, or to the Greeks, or to the Gentiles. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came... And saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We ask now that the Lord would bless the preaching and the believing of his word. The key verses for us today are verse 23 and 24, so let's look at them again. Verse 23, when he came, Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them, same word as encourage there, Uh, he exhorted, he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Here we find what I think is One of the most helpful descriptions of the practice of encouragement in Scripture, uh, Barnabas saw the grace of God, rejoiced in his heart, 
and spoke words of encouragement. And that's what I want to impress that sequence on you. He saw the grace of God. He rejoiced in his heart and he spoke words of encouragement, words of life. And so I see three steps there. We're going to work ourselves through them. He saw, he rejoiced, he encouraged. So step number one for us, see the grace of God. See the grace of God. Notice where encouragement begins here. Notice where it begins in Barnabas's ministry. It's not in what we say. So often we think about encouragement in terms of what needs to be said. What's the right word? We, I'm sure you, you've been in that situation where you're in a community group or you're in a group setting or something. Someone's sharing something and you're just thinking, what do I say? What do I say? I need to think of something to say. I, I can't think of anything to say. What can I say to encourage them? I don't know. I can't think of anything to say. I, I just memorized all these passages, but I can't have one of them come to my mind. What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? You guys have been there? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, we get all stuck in this, like, I don't know what to say, 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 but we're starting in the wrong spot. You don't start by asking what to say, you start by what you see. The starting place of encouragement is not what we say, it's in what we see. It starts with eyes of faith that see the grace of God. Verse 23, when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God. And then verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Encouragement begins in a spirit-filled person who with eyes of faith sees the grace of God. Encouragement is drawn from the grace of God. It's not just, we're not talking about compliments or, you know, polite things we say, but we're talking about drawing from the grace of God and imparting it to other people. Now, it can be drawn from the grace of God in His Word, often is, uh, in His promises, in His commands, but what we see in Barnabas' example here is a particular expression of encouragement that we want to focus on this morning, and that's, that's seeing the grace of God in other people. This is an expression of grace we want to focus on today. Discerning and drawing attention to the activity of God in another Christian's life. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. If someone has experienced the miracle of regeneration, if they have truly turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, if they are indeed a Christian then we are informed by Holy Scripture, we are informed in passages like Philippians 2, verse 13, that God is surely at work in them. God is at work both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In the Christian, the active indweller is always at work. He is tirelessly at work in the heart and the life of the Christian all the time. But... When you encounter a Christian, it is all too often that they are unaware of the work of God in their life. Too often, Christians are more aware of what they perceive as the absence of God than they are of the activity of God in their life. Too often, they are more aware of areas of sin in their life than they are of God's grace in their life. They're more aware of attacks from the enemy, then they are the assistance of God. And, and actually what happens is they, 
We are very adept. Christians are very adept at discerning the activity of God when He does something seemingly spectacular, which always happens to be in somebody else's life. Right? Like, do you ever feel like that? Like, God does great things. It's just always in somebody else's life. And so, we get, it's like we're addicted as Christians looking for God to do these spectacular things, to show up in amazing ways in other people's life all the time, just so we can get assurance. He does work today, right? I mean, and so I'm just, I always hear these testimonies of him doing it, and I hear it on the news, and they're, you know, Christian radio, they're talking about it, and I, I open up Voice of the Mars, I, he's always doing spectacular things, but it's always someone else's life. Not aware that God is at work in our lives. And yet that is exactly the ministry of encouragement. It is drawing, it is discerning, and drawing attention to God's grace in each other's lives. So after this meeting, if I'm interacting with a Christian here, Theologically informed by our passage today, by Barnabas' example, seeing the grace of God. Here's what I'm seeking to observe in their life. I'm convinced God is at work, and I'm thinking, where is God? Where is He? Where is God at work? Where is God? As I'm talking through this situation with this person, as I'm talking through a problem that they're sharing with me, as whatever they're sharing with me, I'm just thinking, where is God at work? What what activity of God do I discern here? What what grace can I discern? And and what I have learned through all this, what I've discovered, is that normally. This means seeing the ordinary with eyes of faith. This means looking at the seemingly ordinary things in a Christian's life, but seeing them with eyes of faith that they're actually God at work in them, both to will and to want. Because get this, listen, the, the work of God in our life is always miraculous. The work of God in our life is always miraculous, but is rarely spectacular. It is always a miracle that God is at work in our lives. But it is normally ordinary looking. It is normally the seemingly ordinary work of devoted to reading your Bible regularly to casting your cares on God, to getting up and going to church after a hard week when you'd rather stay in bed. It's getting all the kids ready and pulling them to church when it would be easier to just watch on the live stream. It's the sacrifices we make for our children. It's the commitment to go to community group. It's the hundred other seemingly ordinary things But with eyes of faith, we can discern the grace of God at work in these things. That it is actually God working to make you want and to will to do those things. And so encouragement begins with eyes of faith that sees the grace of God at work. Before we say a thing, we must discern a thing. We must discern the activity of God, the grace of God. And so this is the starting point for encouragement. So I want to ask you this morning, as you are interacting with other Christians, are you, is it a category for you to be actively discerning evidences of grace? I love that phrase. I learned it from CJ. Uh, Evidences of grace. Uh, Signs that God is at work. 
Are you on the hunt for that? Do you, do you understand? Christian fellowship is not a passive activity where we just kind of hang out and have some fun and if we happen to stumble into some great talk about God, that's great. No, Christian fellowship, that's what, that's what social clubs do, right? They just kind of hang passively together. Maybe talk about Christian fellowship should be active. We are on the hunt in each other's lives. Where can I, you know, it, where, where is, I feel like CJ right now, this is what he does when he's preaching. It's like in the back of my head right now. <laughs> There's a few of you who know CJ, and that was that was him. He just came out of me. Um, wow, that was distracting. Okay, so, but we are in fellowship with another, and it's like it's like we are just squinty-eyed, looking, trying to discern. Like, where do I see grace at work in you? Where is it? I'm on the active hunt for it. As you interact with other Christians, are you more aware of evidences of grace? Are you drawn to them? Is your radar up to detect them? Or are you more quickly aware? Are you more quickly detecting areas for growth? Are you more aware of the present activity in their life? The present activity of God in their life? Or are you more aware of the present deficiencies in their life? The commendable example of Barnabas, along with many other passages urges us to look for evidence of grace in each other's life. And if this is a category foreign to you, if you think, okay, sounds great, Jace, but how do I do it? Make it more practical. What do I need to be doing? How, how do I have this grid? What do I do when I'm squinty-eyed staring at each other uh, all funny? Like, what, what am I actually trying to think through and see? Well, let me, again, this is something I learned from CJ. Let me come into you. Three lists in Scripture that will help you become more discerning of evidences of grace in people's life. Three lists that you can familiarize yourself with to help you grow in encouragement. The first is the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. The second is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And the third is the uh, gifts of the Spirit in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. I'll just say them again real fast. Uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and the gifts of the Spirit in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Familiarize yourself with these lists, study them, memorize them, and then look up from your passage and start studying Christians, the Christians across from you, the Christians in your community group. Start noticing, oh, that's a peacemaker right there. Oh, that's, you know, that's encouragement right there. That's humility right there. Start noticing these things and then draw attention to them. Highlight them. But it begins by seeing the grace of God, discerning the activity of God in their lives. We want to see more and more of our 25,000 words each day be encouraging words. But it begins by seeing the activity of God, seeing the grace of God. All right, step number two then. Step number two is rejoice in our heart. Rejoice in our heart. Barnabas saw the grace of God God, and was glad. We begin by seeing the grace of God, but then we need to have a response to it in our heart. A response in our heart. That's what I'm getting at when I say rejoicing in our heart. Because seeing the grace of God should make us happy. It should make us glad. Right? It should warm our hearts if we're actually witnessing God at work in someone else's life, we should stand amazed at that. I am beholding the work 
of God. This is so important. This is a, this is a step often missed, I think, in the practice of encouragement. We must rejoice in our hearts. We must respond in our hearts to the grace of God that we are discerning. I think this is so important for at least two reasons. The first is, those you are seeking to encourage, those you are seeking to care for or to serve, listen, they will discern your insincerity. If you're seeking to encourage someone... Pointing out an evidence of grace that has not first encouraged you. That hasn't first warmed your heart. That hasn't first caused you to rejoice and worship. Then your encouragement to them will not be delivered with its full force. It will not be able to give life like it's intended to do so. They will discern that you are actually being insincere. You are playing the part. You are acting it out. Pastor says here we're supposed to be an encouraging church, and so I better be encouraging. So I'm sitting in community group, and I'm finding, ah, there's something I guess I can encourage, but, but it really hasn't affected my heart. Then the person receiving your encouragement will look at you with a look that tells you it's not really affecting their heart. Because you are not sincere. It is sincere encouragement when you see the grace of God and you are encouraged by it. And then out of your encouragement, you deliver encouragement. So, we have to respond in our heart, rejoice in our heart. That's the first reason, because the discerning will recognize our insincerity. But then the second reason it's important for us to have some kind of heart response to the grace that we discern is because... That is actually our spiritual worship. That is actually our spiritual worship. If you discern the activity of God, then (laughs) He is due your praise. Then He is due your praise. He is due your thanksgiving. Your heart should respond to God's gracious presence and activity with worship, which can often just be Gladness of heart, rejoicing, thanksgiving. Uh, Sam Crabtree, in his excellent book, Practicing Affirmation, which is, I think, one of the best books on this category that I'm aware of, Practicing Affirmation. I have four copies to give away to anyone who wants one uh, after the service today. All you got to do is just come down to me and, um, and ask for a copy of it. And what I will do is I will hold it out and you will put your hand upon it and you will say, I solemnly swear that I'm going to read this book and not just set it on my shelf. And if you will do that, you don't actually have to swear, but I want your intention to actually read it. If you would intend to read it, if it would help you, please come forward. I will give you a copy of it for as long as they last. First come, first serve. But in that book, Sam Crabtree makes the point that everything is from God, everything is through God, everything is to God. Romans 11, 35, and 36. So that in all things, including in the commendable qualities of other people, God might get the glory. James 1, 17 tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so to see God at work in another person, to see a grace, a gift of grace in them, but to not respond in our hearts, to not rejoice or to give thanks over it. Well, Crabtree suggests that's just robbing God of praise. That's just robbing God of praise. Listen, as the heavens declare the glory of God, so too does every evidence of grace displayed in the lives of one of another. 
They are shouting the glory of God to us. That He is kind. He is merciful. He is powerful. He is strength. He is wisdom. He is faithful. And so to be indifferent to God's gracious activity in someone else's life, to see it but not really be impressed by it, to not have it affect our hearts, well, that's like, that's like seeing a beautiful sunset and just not giving grace or praise to God for it. It's like going to Niagara Falls and or the Grand Canyon, seeing the scope and the scale, the strength and the size, and then not worshiping God for it. The indifference makes no sense. The person who visits Niagara Falls and Grand Canyon doesn't praise God. They rob the Creator of His glory. And so too do we when we fail to respond with grateful praise to the evidence of God's work in individuals' lives. Getting at this a different way, consider this insight from Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby writes, Right now, God is working all around you and in your life. Right now, God is working all around you and in your life. One of the greatest tragedies among God's people is that while they have a deep longing to experience Him, they are experiencing God day by day, day after day, but do not know how to recognize him. They have a deep longing to experience him. They are experiencing him day after day. But the tragedy is they do not know how to recognize him. Friends, I'm praying this sermon today helps you to recognize the activity of God in you and around you in the lives of others. He is at work all the time. He's always working in and around us. And we must learn to discern his work, to experience his presence, and to give him glory to his name. This is how we relate to God throughout the day. So listen, here's an encouragement I have for practical application for you. Study the broad work of the Holy Spirit. Study the broad work of the Holy Spirit. Because listen, here we are a charismatic church. Uh, We believe the gifts of the Spirit continue today. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Including the gifts of prophecy and tongues and healing. But here's the deal. Here's the problem. Here's the the temptation and tendency in charismatic churches, charismatic circles, or continuationist if you prefer that language, is to focus on and be fascinated by unusual manifestations. It's easy to be focused on and fascinated by the unusual, which has the effect, either intended or not, of diminishing or dismissing altogether the broad work of the Holy Spirit. So that you have countless people who are experiencing the power of God in their life, but are unaware of it because all the attention is on the unusual. And I know what I have experienced is the same thing that you have experienced, which is this, that some of the most powerful manifestations of the Spirit, some of those powerful evidences of grace, are they not in people who are suffering in ways that we cannot relate to, and yet they don't complain about it? Is that one of the most powerful demonstrations of the Spirit? And when I think, see things like that, when we see things like that, when they are suffering with faith in God, that's the kind of activity I want to draw their attention to. That it's not their temperament. That is not the way that you were raised. That is the work of God in your life. That is the power of the Spirit at work in your life. I'm not going to yell at them if they're suffering like this, but I'm yelling at you because I want you to know that's important to draw attention to. 
Because without the Spirit of God, we would be complaining, we would be despairing, but God is at work, and I am amazed by the grace that I see there. And I worship the Lord who empowers you to suffer like that. So step number one, we see the grace of God. Step number two, we rejoice in our hearts over it. And then step number three, then we speak words of life. We speak words of life. Acts 11.23, when he, being Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted, again, same word, encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Friends, it is our privilege, it is our joy, it is our ministry to come alongside each other and point out the activity God with specific words of life. We want to be specific in our encouragement. And we want to be specific in pointing out evidences of grace in each other's lives. That's why those lists can be very helpful to help you discern specificity, things that you can specifically point out. I want to show you one surprising example of this in the New Testament. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If Acts 11 is one of my favorite passages on... Encouragement. First uh, Corinthians one is the other, and um, in in some ways, it's been much more formative for me in my thoughts on encouragement. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context here. Uh, if you're familiar with the church in Corinth, uh, if you're familiar with First and Second Corinthians, uh, you're aware that there's hardly a church Paul served that was more in need of adjustment. I think you could say you could argue that the church in Galatia uh, was uh, perhaps out, you know beat out First Corinthians for this uh, sad ranking, um, but the Corinthians were were certainly in need of major adjustment uh, on a number of issues, on a number of items. Just read First Corinthians and you'll see. But not the least, I want to highlight this one for a reason. Not the least because of their misunderstanding and misuse of the spiritual gifts, especially tongues the words that you speak, and prophecy, knowledge that you are given. I need you to keep that in mind. They misunderstood and they misused the spiritual gifts, especially tongues, words that you speak, and prophecy, knowledge that you are given. The Corinthians abused these gifts and they opposed Paul. They opposed Paul. Now, if I were Paul and I had a church... Listen, I am so grateful for you all because you do not oppose me. Thank you. I probably can't say that enough. Thank you for being a church that does not oppose me. Thank you for not writing me letters that tells me you oppose my leadership of this church. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. Because not every pastor gets to enjoy that. And Paul did not get to enjoy that with the church in Corinth. They opposed his leadership. They questioned his leadership. They judged him. And they wrote telling him as much. They sent messages telling him as much. So if I were the Apostle Paul, my temptation would have been to just disassociate myself from the church in Corinth. I'd be like, you know what, guys? Have fun with that mess you're making. I'll come by in a few years and see how you're doing. Maybe then you'll be more open to my leadership. I probably would have been tempted to disassociate myself, or at least to grind my teeth as I went to try and fix all the problems in Corinth. To settle all the issues in Corinth. But let's see how the Apostle Paul opens his letter. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, I give thanks 
to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way, catch this, you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. And then in verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Now do you see what's going on here? Paul is commending grace in the very areas where he needs to bring adjustment. Commenting on this verses, Gordon Fee writes in his commentary, What is most remarkable about this thanksgiving is the apostle's ability to thank God for the very things in the church that, because of abuse, are the very things causing him grief. Do you see that? Even in the areas where adjustment is needed, often there is grace at work there too. In light of the adjustment that's needed related to their attitude toward the gifts and their practice of the gifts, I would not have begun this letter thanking God and affirming the abundance of gifts that they enjoy. Would you have thought to start that letter this way? Is that how you talk to your spouse or your children? You know, I've got some adjustment. I mean, but let me just begin with my sincere gratefulness for this very area. I give thanks to my God always for you because of you who oppose me. I give thanks to God for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. This is not how I would have begun this letter. I probably would have told them to, I probably would have told them, listen, Corinth, hi, spiritual gifts, stop it. Cease and desist. Take a break. Fast from them for a while. You're messing it all up. You don't understand. You're going to hurt somebody's feelings. You're going to chase unbelievers away. You're going to cause this. Stop it. Just stop. I would not have encouraged the Corinthians. I would not have encouraged the Corinthians. I would not have encouraged the Corinthians because I am too proud to do so. I'm too self-righteous to do so. I'm too annoyed with problems to do so. You see, it's only the humble, it's only the humble that can identify evidences of grace in those who need adjustment. It's only the humble who can identify evidences of grace in those who need a judgment. Men like Paul and men like Barnabas, good men, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Uh, I've shared, I've probably shared this with you before. Um, one of my favorite Peanut cartoons. Again, I think I think it was CJ who first told me about this, but um, you remember Peanuts, right? Charlie Brown, those guys. Uh, it opens with Lucy and Linus in their living room. And Linus is curled up in a chair, quietly reading a book. And Lucy is standing behind him with a funny look on her face. She turns to Linus and says, It's very strange. It happens just by looking at you. To which he replies, What happens? She answers, 
I can feel a criticism coming on. (laughs) It happens just by looking at you. What happens? I can feel a criticism coming on. very easy to be like a Lucy. It doesn't take any grace to be a Lucy. Friends, apart from the grace of God and the work of His Spirit to grow the fruit of humility in our life, that's all we'll feel coming on. Another criticism coming on. Listen, when you are discerning evidences of grace in other people, when you are communicating that discernment, I want you to understand, you are not simply emulating the example of Paul or the example of Barnabas. I want you to understand, it goes deeper than that. You are actually imitating the example of God himself. You are actually imitating the example of God himself. I can show you that. If you'll just turn a page or two over in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, you'll remember the Corinthians are arrogant. They have been wrongly influenced by the world. They are opposed to Paul and judging him. And as he is trying to bring adjustment to them, in chapter 4, he draws their attention to coming judgment, to future judgment. And as he does so, he says in verse 5, chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Now, pause right there. Don't read on. Eyes up on me. Eyes up, class. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. All right. Now, if I were reading this and did not know the next part of this verse, if I were just reading this and I would say, okay, Paul's saying, yeah, hey, don't pronounce judgment because the Lord is coming who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. You know, if I stopped there and I thought, what's the next thing Paul going to say? I think, and Paul's going to say, and Corinth, he's going to reveal your heart and all your denouncing of me and you're going to get what you have coming to you. I tell you that. That's what I think would be coming next in this epistle. That's how I would write this epistle, which is why God did not ask me to write this epistle. (laughs) Praise God. So what does Paul actually say then? What he says is then, when God reveals all that, then each one will receive, Corinth, each one will receive his commendation from God. Corinth, God's not like you. He is able to commend Sinners who he had to send his son to save. And that's why Paul can commend the Corinthians. Paul can commend even the Corinthians because at the final judgment, God will commend us because Christ has paid for all our sin. He will praise the grace. God, that's what the word commend means, praise. You will stand before God and he will praise the things in your life that he has wrought. And it will all be for his glory, because it was because he who was at work in you to will and to want anything at all. So just think about that. Just think about that. This is a blessing bought for us in Jesus Christ. As John Piper has said, every glimmer of good, every glimmer, just a glimmer, but it's a glimmer still. Every glimmer of good in God's children is blood bought. Jesus died to make it possible. In Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation, but there is commendation. 
prays for a job well done. We will stand before God on the final judgment, and because of Jesus Christ, we will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And brothers and sisters, if God can commend you and me, and if Paul can commend the Corinthians, then certainly we can turn around and commend the grace of God in one another. Certainly we can discern, celebrate, and draw attention to the grace at work in our families and in our community groups and in this church. So, let me just equip you now to leave here today with three brief recommendations for your application. Three ways you can begin applying this. The first is, I want to encourage you to apply this immediately to the conversations that will take place in just a few moments when we conclude this service. Because listen, when you are when you're sent out from here, when you are dismissed, you are sent out on ministry to encourage one another. That's what's happening when we are sent out from here. It's not just to kind of go down the lazy river of hanging out. It is to go on an active ministry of encouraging one another. So, so just be aware of this. Be aware of it, that there are people all around you right now who when you ask how they're doing, they're going to say, fine, but they actually need encouragement. They need you to get into their life and help them see God at work. And you will be equipped to see better than they will. So God is sending you out. They need grace. Go give grace. All right. Number two. Number two. Number two. Take Acts 11.23. Take this this verse. Take Acts 11.23 with you into the many conversations you are going to have this week. See. Rejoice. Speak, see, rejoice, speak. Just take that outline with you into the mini conversation. See, rejoice, speak. See the grace of God. Rejoice and speak words of life. Seek to apply this passage in talking with family members and coworkers and neighbors and the grocery clerk and whoever else. Be a Barnabas. Son, daughter of encouragement. Third and finally, third and finally, maybe the hardest one. Invite others to evaluate your speech in light of this passage. Humble yourself. God gives grace to the humble. You said it takes humble people. So ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask a pastor. Ask a friend. Hey, how am I doing with my 25,000 words? How many of them do you think are informed by this this passage? After interactions with me, do you find yourself regularly built up, regularly encouraged in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Invite inspection. Welcome the evaluation of others. And if someone asks you to, if someone asks you to evaluate them, Be honest with them. Don't try to just be nice. They're wanting your help. So speak the truth in love. In conclusion, encouragement is the fruit of the gospel in our lives. And it is to be a distinctive of the church. So by the grace of God, 
And applying this passage to our lives, let us experience the transforming effect of this passage so that an increasing percentage of our 25,000 words every day are life-giving words. Giving words of encouragement. Here's what we want here at Covenant of Grace Church. We want a church culture. We want a church culture that is the fruit of and is really only explained by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the sanctifying work of His Spirit in our lives, all for the glory of God. Which means we use life-giving words, encouragement, grace upon grace. Let's pray. Father, I'm mindful of the disciples who once said to you, where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of life. You are the word of life, Lord, and you have sent us out to speak words of life into one another's hearts. And so, God, we pray first with gratitude. Lord, we thank you. Thank, thank you, God for Sovereign Grace Churches, for C.J. Mahaney, for the grace you've poured in and through that ministry, that denomination, into our church. Thank you that encouragement has historically marked this church, that these are an encouraging people. And Lord, we thank you for your grace. We see it. We discern it. We thank you for it, Lord. And we're saying, please, Lord, more. Uh, We encourage. Help us to encourage more. Now stir up that gift, God. And Lord, where there has been corruptive speech in our lives, Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us, cleanse us, give us eyes to see your grace, fill our hearts with worship, and help us speak words of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand. We respond to the preaching of God's word by going to celebrate fellowship with him at the table, the Lord's Supper. Whether you call this church your home or not, if you are a Christian, you are welcome to join us. Uh, This is the table that Jesus Christ has set for those who are his followers and his disciples, those who claim him as Lord and Savior. Uh, If you are not a Christian, if you have not confessed Jesus Christ, then we ask that you would refrain from participating. Also, if you've not been baptized yet, Um, But instead, you can reflect on the gospel preached, the good news, the encouraging word that is shared with you. We pray that you will repent of your sins and that you will put your faith in Jesus Christ and that you will join us around this table soon. Uh, For all of us participating, I want to encourage you to use this song that we're about to sing. Uh, Use this time while we're singing to prepare your hearts. To prepare your hearts for the taking of the Lord's Supper. If you have been convicted with how you speak. Now is the time to repent and receive assurance of forgiveness. You've been convicted uh, that you have not been using words of grace and life. Now is the time to turn from your sin, receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and go out from here motivated by grace. So let's prepare our hearts, let's pray as we sing, and then I'll come back up in a few minutes and lead us in taking the elements.